Oh no, Stro! As the Mets head into opening day Friday, their pitching depth has already taken a hit. The 30-man roster is out. How concerned should the Mets fans be? Mets radio voice Howie Rose and now friend of the program joins us as we predict the Mets record this season. We also are excited to chat with the captain, third baseman, number five, David Wright. All that and more next on Amazing But True from the New York Post. Queens, New York. Mets take the field. So amazing. Amazing but true. Orange and blue. So amazing. Here's the pitch. New York folks. It's out of here. We got you. Welcome to Amazing But True, our New York Mets podcast from the New York Post. I'm your host, Jake Brown, and you just heard my co-host, Nelson Figueroa, former Met and Emmy Award winner. You can subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, wherever you get your podcasts. But if you are using Apple, please give us a five-star rating and write in a positive review. Howie Rose and David Wright join the show later, but first, Jake, what's on your mind? We got a lot to get into. Opening days here, Thursday, Yankees. Friday is the Mets against the Braves. You know, we got a lot of negative news, but positively, later in the show, we'll have David Wright and just an incredible interview. Can't wait for you all to hear that. Figgy's old teammate, my teenage hero, uh, that is a must listen. And now, friend of the program, Howie Rose, joins us, who the first time you heard the story of his uh, near romance with my mom, but my mom ended up dating my future dad, and I am not Jake Rose, and I was born. Figgy might have been doing the show with some other fat ball guy, but instead, it's me. So I guess thank you, Howie, for meeting someone else, um, and shout out to my parents. <laughs> but, you know, we'll start off with, you know, the negative, and that's this. The the rosters are set. We'll get into that in a second. But first, Figgy, it's Marcus Stroman, the calf tear. He's not worried. He tweeted that he'll be okay. He's on the IL, obviously. he They say week to week in Mets terms. That means out for the season. But you hope he's back in late August. But kind of break down for us the calf tear and the timeline and what it means for a pitcher to deal with that. He says it's just about running and doesn't affect his pitching. But I have a feeling it means otherwise. Yeah, and of course, the organization does as well. And they're going to be erring on the side of caution. They want to make sure that this doesn't, this small calf tear slash whatever it may be. Anytime you're dealing with uh, legs and landing or pushing off or uh, something that could happen awkwardly with your legs, even when it comes down to just foot placement, doing something a little bit different. You talk about the kinetic chain and how all that energy that hits the ground comes running up your body. The weakest link usually turns out to be the elbow. That's what people get elbow discomfort and then shoulder discomfort. You don't want to deal with that. So they're trying to nip it in the bud. Even if it's something slight, like Marcus Stroman says, the organization is concerned enough to place him on the IL. Remember, the IL is only 10 days. Um, Now it's no longer, you know, the 14 day uh, variety. So at 10 days, which means two starts, they're able to get through if he progresses uh, progresses quickly, then great. He misses only the two starts and then he's back uh, in the rotation and, and all is well. But I think what you are looking for is that that one little thing doesn't lead to something bigger. And early on in the season, especially, I get it's a, a foot race this year with 60 games, but you still want to have Marcus Stroman out there not being concerned about his lower half, especially when it comes to being able to cover bases and uh, field his position because he's not going to have to run the bases with the universal DH. And if you just came in for this show to hear David Wright and you haven't heard Figgy and I before, yes, you just did hear kinetic chain. So we break it down <laughs> better than no other here. You might not know what it is. Google it. A squared plus B squared equals C squared. The Pythagorean theorem transitive 
Kinetic Theorem. You know, I mean, my mom's a math teacher taught me that stuff. So all that stuff. But I, I don't know what kinetic chain means. So I'm actually going to look it up later as well. So great breakdown. But Strowman, we expect him to be back. We'll see when, maybe late August. Hopefully you have him for the September, the stretch run in this shortened season. The middle relief has taken a hit as Brad Brock, Rob Gazelman, Walter Lockett, Jared Hughes are all starting the season on the IL. So the Mets fifth starter, the rosters have been set. David Peterson is not on it. Figgy, it is shocking to see him not make the cut. You know, Mets fans will have in their mind, is it about service time, super twos? But then Andres Jimenez makes the cut. And you're thinking, wait a second, why is he on the team? He's not going to probably see an at-bat barring injuries. I mean, Ahmed Rosario is your everyday shortstop and Jeff McNeil is your everyday third baseman. So with J.D. Davis as a, as a backup potentially, so it's weird to see Jimenez make the team and Peterson not. Do you have any kind of explanation why the Mets would do that? And Corey Oswald is the guy that does make it, and we expect him to potentially now be the fifth starter. Well, when you talk about uh, Jimenez and what skill set he brings um, defensively, he's he's probably ranked ahead of Rosario um, when it comes defensively. Uh, at the same time, later on in games when you need a, a guy who can run, a guy who can score from second base, a guy who can go first to third easily on a base hit, Jimenez is probably one of those guys. Eduardo Nunez is the veteran, of course, but he always deals with some kind of leg back injury as well. And there's no minor league season for Jimenez to develop skills. I think they want to have a close eye on him. They want to work with him constantly, kind of like what they did with Rosario his first year in the major leagues. You know, he was kind of doing advanced lessons before games. He was still working on his skill set, but he was doing it with the major coaching staff so well there's no minor league season I think that's what they really want to focus on is letting him get acclimated to the big leagues and and not be overwhelmed when it is his chance to perform and, and be close to the team when it comes to David Peterson he's not on the 40 man and so creating a spot for him on the 40 man right now there's a lot of decisions that had to be made with those middle relievers the Hunter Stricklands of the world Nunez having to be put on the, the 40 man as well there are guys that have to get taken off and so there's only so many moves that you can make right now to get down to that 30 that makes sense because because you have to also remember in two weeks, you're going down to 28, two weeks after that, down to 26. So what guys are expendable when you're going to have to pull some other guys off the 40 man to maybe bring a guy like Peterson, who after, you know, a, a few outings from a number five starter that doesn't get the job done. Maybe Peterson is the answer. But as of right now, he's the odd man out. Let's hope Corey Oswald, this is just one start because listen, he stinks. Let's just keep it 100 right now. He had a 12 ERA last year. I know he had six and two thirds. I forgot actually that he, I know he started in 2018. He made 12. 12 starts in 2018 and he had a couple here and there that were okay but overall he had a 585 ERA he gave up 69 hits in 64 and two-thirds innings 14 home runs so listen Oswald has struggled and he's going to probably get the spot start but it's going to be a short leash you figure Figgy and the rest of the bullpen that's going to you know patch along with him and help him uh, maybe he gets more starts but the guys the fringe guys who did make it are Paul Seawald who again I've said almost in every episode that Melatonin and Paul Seawald are what give me nightmares um Jason Shreve <laughs> is your only other lefty in the bullpen outside of Justin Wilson who is a lock Drew Smith has made the team Hunter Strickland as we expected has made the team and Oswald so and then you have your usual Batantis Familia Lugo Diaz uh Wilson and then it's going to be DeGrom Friday Matt Saturday Porcello Sunday against the Braves 4 p.m 4 p.m 7 p.m expected to be Michael Waka Monday in Boston at Fenway against the Red Sox so listen it, they're gonna have to patch guys together that every fifth day we we think it's going to be Oswald but he might only go two or three and, and be on a short leash and you might see a guy like Hunter Strickland go to and it might be a 
big day that you use Lugo, but they have been very hesitant to start Lugo, so he's going to stay in the pen. Yeah, you're going to look at probably something more on the lines of the opener. Um, I think Tampa Bay, over the last three seasons, has really shown the ability for the opener to be successful, especially in that American League East. That's you know not an easy task when you're playing against the Red Sox and the Yankees so much. They've won 93 games with not having the best five-man rotation in baseball. So they found a way to make it work, and I think more teams are willing to understand that starting pitching or pitching in general, if you only have to go one time through the lineup, you usually have success for especially a young pitcher. Just as long as you don't compound mistakes and walk the yard and then give up the three-run bomb, if you're able to just go right at guys and attack them, pitching into these big shifts. So hitting your spots is very important and not missing over the middle of the plate, not making big mistakes. Corey Oswald is a guy who hopefully has learned in this, this is his now third season being around the team. Uh, He just is really going to have to pitch to the game plan. And if he's that opener type guy, you let him go three innings. I mean, they were paying Jason Vargas $8 million a year to be a four inning guy and just barely get through two times through the lineup. If that, I mean, he was going like 75, 80 pitches. That's what you're looking for from your fifth starter. Remember, fifth starter is not going to determine the World Series. Also with a fifth starter, you have a bullpen that's capable of eating up those innings because the next day coming in is Jacob deGrom. Jacob deGrom is not going to need normally and almost over the last two years, never need a fifth, sixth, or even seventh inning guy. He's been able to handle that himself. So a little bit more, uh, I would say, goes on Jacob's shoulders, and I'm perfectly okay with that. And Figgy, DeGrom, Matt, and Porcello have to eat innings like crazy this year. And I know early on it's going to be a shorter leash and pitch count, but they really need those guys to try and get through seven because you don't want to have to use those middle relief guys those days. You want them saved for that fifth starter day. You want them saved potentially for Waka while Waka has looked good. We don't know what he's going to be and how deep he's going to be. Because remember, he's been a starter, but he's also been a reliever as well. So he's got to stretch himself out and try to get through six or seven. So, I mean, those top three, Figgy, are, their roles are so important with Stroman down for at least a month here. And the pitching and that bullpen, that middle relief, that's our biggest question. I think me and you are fans of the lineup. We're fans of those top three or four. But After that is where you worry and people are going to say, oh, why not sign someone? It's hard right now. It is so late in the ballgame to add an Aaron Sanchez. Listen, Matt Harvey's not happening. As much as Bartolo Colon, 47-year-old, I mean, collecting you know ARP cards soon. We'd love for him to sign. We'd love Big Sexy back. None of that's going to happen. So you got to deal with the cards you got. What you got right now is what we're going to see at least here, Figgy, for two weeks. And then two of these guys will be gone. Yeah, and I I think what you're looking to do is you're going to lean on the uh, offense a little bit more. Uh, The offense is going to have to put up some runs and be able to take advantage of other teams who will have weaknesses, similar weaknesses, especially early on. You're looking at these starters not going to be able to go three times through the lineup. So when they make that transition to that middle relief guy, you'll maybe see teams going to late inning guys, especially in big situations. So that Andrew Miller stopper type pitcher and may become a, a much bigger thing in these games because every one of these games is going to seem much more crucial because you're already down the home stretch with only 60 games left in the season. All right. On the offensive side, we mentioned Gimenez, the catchers, they go with three on this 30-man roster. Nito Ramos Rivera, I'm perfectly fine with that. Rivera's the veteran. Uh, Nito, you know, Rivera and Nito are probably equal hitters. If not, Rivera's a little bit better, but Nito's probably going to be the main backup. Rivera is there for defense for sure. Your infielders, Alonzo Cano, Gimenez, Guillorme, Nunez are your three backups as well as Dom Smith and then obviously Rosario and McNeil. Uh, Your outfield is Cespedes, Conforto, and Nimmo. Davis getting in there half the time probably with Cespedes and Marisnik. 
is going to be on the opening day roster. He was banged up a little bit, but I guess he is good to go as kind of your backup center fielder. So maybe against lefties, you'll see Jake Marisnik in there. But what do you think of this depth here? Are we questioning Jimenez? He's probably the one question mark. I like Nunez and Guillaume for defensive reasons. Nunez being a veteran out there who, you know, has a capable bat. He's not great, but a capable bat. You got your couple mix of veterans. You got your young guys. You got your speed and you got your defensive replacements. Yeah, I think it's a very complete uh, roster. You look at, you got some big boppers, of course, in the middle of that lineup. You've got guys that can hit for average with McNeil. Um, you're looking for Cano to have quality at bats and, and play more like he did in the second half. I, I don't think Cano is a lost cause. Let, let's not write him off and say, oh, this guy can't do it anymore. He's not a lost cause, but he isn't a three hitter. Well, he's not a three hitter in, in the modern day experiment of what a three hitter is because what you want is you want your best three hitters up at the top of the lineup so that they come up again in the ninth inning with a shot at the uh, you know runners being a scorer position, a chance to win a ball game. So if that's not where you are with Cano, so be it. He may get that opportunity to start out, and who knows? That's where a manager and the front office will make that uh, lineup as best as they can. And sometimes you have to take into account, hey, put him in that situation, allow him an opportunity to fail. Not often because you don't have all those opportunities, but uh, what if he does have success? So remember, he had a home run opening day uh, last year, you know, and everybody, oh, this is why we got him. This is what he can do. He's a guy that, you know, lefties, righties, it doesn't matter. I still see him as a guy who can handle the bat and I'd rather have him up at the plate than a Jimenez or a uh, or even a Nunez or anybody else because you're talking about oh make him you know uh, uh, a role player kind of thing where I'm not ready to push him out the door just yet I, I think he's gonna be uh, still a very capable bat and maybe surprising at times this year and and remember you're going at it for 60 games instead of pacing yourself for 160 games you got 60 games to go and so the Mets have a lot of pieces um, a lot of valued pieces it's no longer like throwing in a backup to the backup kind of thing you're you almost want to see all these guys get a chance to play all 60 games to see what they can do they're not able to do that and it's going to be interesting to see how to ride the hot hand and how to go with the analytics because you know the front office is going to push a lineup that's full of analytics where you know Rojas might be like hey I think this guy is due I think he he's had success against this pitcher before I think this guy had really good at bat yesterday and's ready to turn a corner so that that's going to be that kind of push and pull early on in the season with a new manager who will start after Waka, will it be Oswald? Will it be a bullpen game? That's going to be uh, that's the sixty-four thousand dollar question for this team right now. We get into prediction time now before we hand it off to Howie Rose and our special guest David Wright for an absolutely. If you're a Mets fan, if you're a baseball fan, you will love this interview with David Wright. But as we get into prediction time here, and the Mets, you talked about home field advantage will actually be renamed cardboard advantage this season for, uh, <laughs> for the thirty games. You talk about predictions here. Let's do it, man. I I actually thought before these injuries happen, and this is why you wait to make picks before you know you hear everything i really was confident that we might have a subway series world series now with the mets injuries i'm a little hesitant to say they'll go that far but i do think the mets are going to get one of those wild card spots i think they go 34 and 26 you know i guess no matter if it's 16 or or not 16 teams if it's 10 or 16 i do think they snag a wild card because 34 26 is a good record in a 60 game season there's not going to be teams that go like 45 and 15 if there are yeah, it's not basketball yeah i just don't see that happening so i do think 34 is a solid enough number to get the wild card and i think they uh, get the wild card i don't think they're gonna make the world series unless stroman comes back and like they're great i'm just not as confident now with now that i see that there's gonna be more injuries to come too you just know it's gonna happen so i think it's gonna be a dodgers yankees i think the dodgers beat the yankees in the world series 
No, Mookie Betts, especially uh, being added on for what thirteen years. Oh, that, man. That's Red a Sox huge, fans are pissed off right now. That's a huge element for them. And the Dodgers have been to the World Series how many times after spending billions and billions of dollars trying to get there and and win it. Um, they're they're not afraid to go out and make huge splashes. So you know, kudos to them for trying. But it's still they've come up on the short end, no matter how much money they've thrown at the problem. I'm looking at the Mets. You know, 34, 35 seems like a, a very doable number. Um, I don't think it's something to to be like, oh, they're going to be 40 and 20. No, I don't think there's a shot at that. But 35 is is lofty. I'd say 33 to 35 is somewhere where I'm sitting at. And, and I think because of the strength of the National League East, you're going to see these teams kind of, you know, jockeying for position all season long and getting down the stretch. Whoever's healthiest down the stretch, which is always the biggest key, is really the team that is going to be able to carry that momentum and, and get to the playoffs and I don't care if they get the wild card and they don't win the division as long as they get their feet in the door and I got Jacob DeGrom on the mound game one I feel real confident no matter if it's a wild card for one one game uh, or it's them going after the National League title I, I think the Mets pitching staff is built to, to do that and the depth in the bullpen and you talk about not just quality arms but guys who have performed at a very very high level they look really good in summer camp and even in spring training but the summer camp version of Dylan Batances and uh, Familia and and even Diaz, uh, I'm excited to see when the bell rings, these guys be ready to go. And uh, Seth Lugo, as always, is going to be the X factor. I think the Rays are going to get there. I do. I think the Rays uh, have that capability uh, of doing things a little bit different. And in this year of uh, <laughs> how much more different can it be? I think they stand out to me. I will say the Mets will be in the World Series against the Tampa Bay Rays. Let's go! <laughs> will they win the World Series? Now Now you want to push it. Yeah, come on. <laughs> say that, too. Come on. Pump up the fans. No, you know why I don't want to say? You know why I don't want to say? I'm not going to say because everybody's going to start with the asterisks. Of course they're going to win. It's a 60 game season. It doesn't count. I don't care. A ring is a ring. Figgy's calling it. The New York Mets are the 2020 World Series champions. Amazing, but true. (laughs) And joining us next to give his prediction on the Mets season is the radio voice of the New York Mets for a long, long time. It is Howie Rose joining us before we get to David Wright. But first off, Howie Rose right here on Amazing, but True. And joining us now for a second time, now friend of the program, is the radio voice of the New York Mets on WCBS 880. You catch him every game, all 60 games. He'll be doing it a little bit differently this time around in this funky season where, you know, road games and not announcers for road teams and all that. But we're glad to have him back on the show. It is Howie Rose joining Amazing But True. Howie, how are you? I'm all right, gentlemen. You know, a second time on. Is that like being one of those multiple hosts on Saturday Night Live? Do you get something for that? Yeah, we will. Oh, you will. We'll you be will. sending you uh, actual PRL packages that the ones there we, we go. signed, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll get them like from Iowa or someplace because that's gold, brother. It really is because the Bodega brand that I've been getting is not the same. Like it's like it has things in it. It's like not a real doesn't Purell. It, doesn't it smell? Doesn't it smell like uh, tequila? It's, it smells yeah. like tequila to me. Either that, it's got I a don't weird know, smell. Or like uh, it's like farts. I don't know. It's it does not smell good. <laughs> um, so I, I'll take the you know regular like stop and shop Purell. 
and Howie, last time we spoke, one, you were just on Twitter. Now you are a great follow, at Howie Rose. Um, we, you. we taught you what thirst traps were the first time we spoke. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And we also, you know, I told you the story of my soon-to-be mother back in 1983 and you asking her <laughs> yeah. out at the, uh, what is it, Ford Toy- Toyota dealership. Toyota dealership. Uh, yeah, North Shore Toyota it used to be called. I don't even think they're in business anymore. Well, they might be for all I know, but anyway. <laughs> in, in, Hello, in, Noel. <laughs> and my mom was very happy to hear it. The whole family heard it, and they loved it. So uh, thank you. That's that. great. That's great. Happy to help. Yeah, and we talked with you last time. Doc Gooden joined the show, and you, and this time it's you and David Wright. So you've been paired up with a pair of Mets legends, and you are a legend yourself in the booth. Uh, how are you going to prepare for this broadcasting slate for this season? Uh, I know you've had you know a couple you know samples so far, but what is it going to look like for you? I don't think the preparation's all that different because you're still pouring over whatever information you would normally look at to get ready for a particular game. But um, I don't really think that, uh, and you know, from a preparation standpoint, there's a whole lot of difference there. It's a matter of how it's going to feel with no fans in the stands, particularly when we're doing a road game from City Field and we're just watching a monitor, that's going to be a little different. But I, I, I really can't give you an answer on how that's going to work until I've done a couple. You're going to be like the old school announcers where you had the two wooden blocks and you'd make the crack noise. Oh, crack of the bat and the deep drive. I think that's what we're looking for this that. time. <laughs> I could see you like having this whole prop kit, you know, like uh, coming out there with all these different sounds and sound effects, um, especially with what we're looking forward to opening day and the Mets uh, with the injury news that's happening right now. What are your expectations this season for the team? Well, I think that their starting pitching has clearly taken a hit here, you know, between losing Stroman yesterday and certainly Syndergaard for the year, it's going to test their depth. And this is a year when because starting pitchers, you know, are going to be somewhat limited early on, and who knows, maybe they'll be pushed further than they would ordinarily at an early stage of a season. You know, I still think that there's strength in numbers, and right now the Mets are a little thin behind their top four, and even that's assuming that Porcello and Waka are able to pitch up to, you know, what would be average seasons for both of them, which would be very good. So with Mats and DeGrom, along with the two I just mentioned, you know, that's fine. But, you know, beyond that, it's pretty thin. So I'd like to see them, from all indications, given that he pitched fairly well uh, the few opportunities they've had to see him under these strange conditions, I'd like to see him give David Peterson a shot, the former first-round pick. You know, again, they've got a little bit invested in him having been picked up at that lofty perch. And so, you know, we've seen Corey Oswalt. We've seen Walker Lockett, who's starting out on the injured list. So I think this might open up a spot for David Peterson to make an impression. I hope it does. Still haven't heard a prediction yet. What's your prediction for the Mets this season win total? Well, okay, as far as a win total is concerned and 60 games, uh, you know, if you, if you win 35, you're 10 games over 500. I think that might be, given the pitching uh, questions you have now, given the injury, that, that might be the ceiling for them. So I'd say if things go well, they can win 35 out of the 60 but you know again no one can predict who's going to get sick no one can can foresee what the effects of COVID-19 are going to be on any individual team because it's conceivable that if one guy gets it then you know several will it's not necessarily going to rifle its way through a clubhouse the way uh, the flu or a cold does because these guys are not going to be in as close proximity to each other as they normally are. But, you know, there's just so much we still don't know about this thing that I have to assume that if one guy gets it, 
no matter what the best efforts are to quarantine that person and separate them from the pack, and there's a chance others would be infected too. So to me, that's the greater or, or the greatest unknown, but I'd say the ceiling for this team would be 35 wins. Yeah, I, I have them at 34 and 26, and I think we're, we're being a little optimistic, but listen, it is, yeah. it's not a reason to, you know, Strowman's out, but he likely will be back. I mean, he's tweeting that he's not worried about it, which, you know, I don't think that's the right thing to say. You got to be a little bit worried. Uh, but, you know, you still have four good starters. You still have five solid relievers, and you still got that lineup in depth. They're so far so good in terms of, you know, starting guys not getting hurt, but you got to be convinced that the lineup can do a lot of damage this year, Howie, and, you know, maybe Pete has a good sophomore season. Uh, Nimmo gets on base a lot at the top of the order, and Cespedes gives you some power that it can overcome for some of these early injuries because I know Mets fans, we enter Panic City really quick, but I don't think it's, it's reason to just get into Panic city and then you know buy an apartment that's sun drenched overpriced in new york city just yet yeah i don't believe in that anyway until they at least play a game that counts i mean people were talking about the mets uh defense over the weekend in those two games against the yankees the one particular one where they made four errors well a couple of them were made by max Moroff, who's not a factor on this team and you know, there was a, an errant pickoff throw. I think it was by Betances. But I think that, you know, the bigger question about this team to me is, as you sort of alluded to, the bullpen. You know, you, you got numbers out there, but, you know, what's Diaz, what's Familia, and, and what's Betances right now? There's a chance that if they all have just, again, for them, average major league seasons, that when you throw Lugo into that mix, they're going to have a really good back end of that bullpen. But that's if guys pitch up to their level of capability as they have displayed at other times in their careers. We just don't know that yet. But as far as the lineup goes, I, I think they're going to hit. I mean, there's no reason to look at those guys one through nine and, and, and think otherwise. So I, I think that right now the bats may have to carry the pitching a little bit, and that's not ordinarily how it's gone with the Mets over the years, but it may be the, the, the way things have to happen this season. Yeah, I agree. And I think also the no fans aspect is going to help a guy like Edwin Diaz. Let's hope the Mets don't insert crowd boos when he if he pitches bad, but he's not going to have fans booing him off the field after a bad performance, and that takes a lot of pressure off a guy like that. You know, speaking of fans and the crowd booing guys, do you have a cardboard cutout at City Field? Not as far as I know, unless someone has flushed their $86 down the toilet by, by spending it on my likeness. Um, <laughs> you know, that and, and the money's not down the toilet anyway, because I believe it's all going to charity. So um, however many people spend the $86, good for them. It's going to a good cause. But, you know, to throw that money on, on my likeness, that might be counterproductive. <laughs> you know, spend it on your own or someone else's. Wednesday night storm might have flushed all the cardboard cutouts down the toilet. That thing was scary last night uh, uh, so. that, that was that was very 2020 wasn't it yeah i mean oh uh, yeah i mean well, that was next right when the statue of liberty gets struck by lightning you know all hell has broken loose i don't know if you saw that video huge strike of uh thunder and lightning that struck the statue of liberty so yeah I mean, it's just keeping to the script this year, isn't it? Yeah, it's really going to be a movie. So, last one is, you know, you said 35 wins. Is that the – do the Mets win the pennant? Do they win the wild card, the division? Uh, how far do you see them going? What's interesting is that we may still have expanded playoffs. That's being discussed, and apparently there's a deadline of game time tonight, meaning Thursday night, for affecting expanded playoffs. That will increase every team's chances. I think right now I look at the Mets as being right on that sort of peripheral bubble, and if they go to 16 teams as qualifiers for the postseason – 
then I would have no trouble stepping out on a limb of sorts and saying, yeah, the Mets will be one of those 16. It'd be a little harder with uh, with the current alignment, but I still think it can be done. So, you know, my, my expectation is that the Mets will be in it right down to the, the end under the regular format with a very good chance to grab at least one of those wild cards. And if they go to 16, then I fully expect the Mets to be part of that dance. David Wright is our other guest on this show, and I want to know what's your favorite David Wright moment. My favorite David Wright moment is encapsulated in the same 24-hour period. It's really two moments, but they're linked together. Because when David came back from his long layoff in 2015, I believe it was, we meaning the, the traveling contingent with the Mets arrived at the hotel in Philadelphia the night before David was going to make his return after about four months. And and figure, you know that hotel we stay at in Philly, you've got to take an elevator to get to the lobby. And when we stepped out of those elevators and walked into the lobby, who was standing there? And remember now, this is the night before a game after the Mets had played and traveled. David was waiting for us at the hotel in the lobby in full uniform, all set to go. He met the guys with boxes of insomnia cookies, which are favorites among the masses. And he was like a giddy, smiling little kid. Well, that's that's part one of what really is a three-part story. The next night, he makes his comeback. And would you believe he hits a long home run? And it was a thrill for me to describe that moment because of how much it meant not only to David, but to Mets fans. And then I'm on the bus after the game going back to the hotel and David's sitting behind me and I just turn around. I say, David, I can count on one hand the number of calls that I've made that in real time as I was making it, I can feel the goosebumps. And I mean, he was so taken aback by that. You know, he just, he's so humble. And anytime you give him a compliment or tell him that something he did on the field meant something to to, to you as a fan or as a broadcaster, um, it really hits home. And he's so appreciative. And so really, it's three moments encapsulated into one meeting us at the hotel in uniform, hitting that incredible home run, and then having the opportunity to tell them what it meant to me immediately after the game. They're all tied together. Yeah, I mean, if you have a child, you want them to emulate David Wright, and that's not even factoring in the fact that he made nine figures. I mean, that would be nice, too, to uh, (laughs) put you in a nice nursing home later in life and and, you know feed your family. (laughs) But that's like the last thing you think about with him, and he was never about the money. You don't think about that. Yeah, he was the best, man. A special person. He's just a special person. he really is. And you are a special person. And at one point, you, you were a special person for, for, to my mom for about one day at a Toyota dealership <laughs> in 1983. So, uh, Howie, oh, we, uh, we love talking to you, man, and we'll talk to you later this season. All right, guys. Thanks for having me, and best of luck. I enjoyed it. Our next guest played 14 seasons in the big leagues, all with the New York Mets. He's a seven-time All-Star, a two-time Gold Glove Award winner, a two-time Silver Slugger Award winner, and the former Mets captain. No, he's not Chris Evans, but he'll always be Captain America in the hearts of Mets fans. He's now a special advisor in the Mets front office. We welcome into Amazing But True the captain, third baseman, number five, 
David Wright. David, welcome to the show. What an introduction. Man, you should be like my hype man. I should just carry you around with me. And, you know, when I walk into a restaurant or something, you just give me that kind of introduction. That's, that's pretty cool. Well, I always joke that I'd always want to be a bar mitzvah MC. I've tried to do it at parties <laughs> and hype people up, like hype up Shlomo, like, let's go, baby, 13. Uh, so I'm glad to do it. I usually don't write out intros, but yes, I'll admit I wrote that one. How are you? What are you up to these days? I know, you, I guess you're rocking a, a dad bod now. You got a couple kids. Uh, what's life like for you? Yeah, I mean, certainly the dad bod, but then again, I played with a dad bod, so nothing's changed there. But um, yeah, just kind of hanging out and, um, you know, trying my hand that, you know, I got a, uh, my daughter, my oldest daughter turns four tomorrow. So, um, you know, we've been going back on, you know, lear- relearning my ABCs and one, two, threes and, you know, all the nursery rhyme songs and learning Disney princesses, which I never knew. So it's, uh, you know, it's an exciting time here in the right household. And your daughter, Olivia, I mean, when, listen, you thought they were giving out 40,000 onions to the fans that game because there were tears <laughs> flowing. Figgy said from the studio, he his eyes were uh, not, not a dry eye in the room, in the stadium. I brought a box of Kleenex to that game because I figured it was coming. And uh, just take us through, I mean, that was an emotional moment for us. I can only imagine how emotional it was for you. Yeah, it was very, very cool and uh, really special. I mean, for the Mets to you know, allow me to kind of, you know, I guess, go out on my own terms. You know, I knew that my body couldn't handle it, um, you know, playing anymore. And it became evident, you know, during my last rehab assignment that I just, you know, I started just trying to physically get through games as opposed to playing the game that, that I played for my entire life. So, you know, for the Mets to kind of allow me to, to have that send off, you know, I wanted to, to be able to thank the fans. I wanted to be able to thank the organization. I wanted to play in front of my family, which included my two young girls that had never seen me play a basically baseball game. So, you know, I'm not much of an emotional person, but the, the, the emotions of, you know, kind of that build up and, and that night and just the, the send off that was given to me was uh, incredible. And it still makes the, the hair on the back of my neck stand up and gives me goosebumps just thinking about how gracious the organization, the fans, um, you know, were to me, um, you know, I didn't know what to expect. And to be able to get to the ballpark and have fans waiting at noon when I got there, you know, just saying thank you. You know, I, I wanted to thank them for all the support over the years. I mean, they saw me make a lot of errors, struck out a lot with, with runners in scoring position. And to always have my back, uh, you know, meant the world to me. So to be able to, I think it's every athlete's goal and dream to kind of go out on their own terms. And although I didn't get the, quite the opportunity to do that, to be able to have that one last game and to say goodbye uh, was really special. Yeah, you know, coming up uh, through the organization and knowing who you were, and that actually was the enemy when you first got you know, up to the big leagues. But to be your teammate, I played alongside a lot of great players and a lot of great people. It was my pleasure to see you have that opportunity to, like you said, go out on your own terms because you don't get that very often. Most most of the time, you know, you wind up struggling to hang on. You're not a productive player and you get released and that's it. There's no fanfare. You both on and off the field was so exemplary for the New York Mets as an organization. It's very rare to see that combination. As someone who, a young kid coming up in New York, how did you maintain that focus and never really got caught up in the limelight of New York? 
Well, I appreciate that, Scott. It means a lot, uh, you know, coming from you. Um, I think that's something that was taught to me at a relatively young age. My father uh, was a police officer. My mother worked in the school system. So, you know, I grew up in a very blue-collar family, and it was, you know, all about hard work. It was nothing's going to be given to you. You have to earn it. And, and that's kind of the mindset that I, that I brought to New York, that kind of bring your lunch pail to work, blue-collar mentality, where I knew that I wasn't the most gifted athlete. I knew that I didn't have the most power. I knew that I didn't have the most speed. You know, I, I knew that I would have to outwork the competition to kind of stay at the level that I wanted to play at. And, and I think that's one of the reasons where I believe I connected with the fan base so much is that it's a, it's a blue-collar fan base. You know, I tried to play the game hard. I tried, tried to play the game, um, you know, the right way. And, and you know, I remember growing up, my, my dad and my mom, you know, they never got upset or they never, you know, they cared, but they never would get angry if I struck out three times or made a bunch of errors or didn't play well. It was how I reacted and how I acted after I struggled that would get me in trouble with my parents. If I struck out and went back and moped or threw a helmet or slammed a bat down and didn't root my teammates on, that's when my dad would, I'd get a talking to behind the dugout immediately. He'd pull me out of that game and he'd pull me behind the dugout and say, that's not how you carry yourself. That's not how you act. And, and even when I was in the big league, um, you know, yeah, they'd call me when I had a good game and congratulate me. But you know, if my dad saw me argue with umpires or if my dad saw me, you know, throw a bat or a helmet after a strikeout, I'd get a call and I'd get a talking to at, you know, whatever age, 35 years old. So, you know, I think those kind of principles and those that kind of foundation, I think is why we had that kind of mutual respect between the fan base and, and, and myself because, you know, again, it was a blue collar fan base. I wanted to be a blue collar player. And I think that, you know, that's kind of what, you know, that relationship's kickstarted that relationship yeah from going from being just that blue collar player and and Mets fans we love those scrappy players we love those players who go out there and give it their all and they're always accountable that's one thing when you had to take over wearing the C on your jersey what was that pressure like that's a good question because you know I wanted it to be you know when, when I remember when they first kind of called me in the office it was you know some of the front office members some ownership um, some of the coaches um, in spring training where they called me in the office and they said hey look you know we think it's time that you know we officially name you you captain of the, the franchise and you know I said that, that you have no idea how humbling this is but I want to make sure that every player in that clubhouse agrees with this because if there's issues that players have with the way I lead or who I am or you know I want it to be brought up now and you know if they don't want it then I don't want the position or I don't want the, the title you know, so I, I told, you know, Terry Collins, I told Sandy Alderson, you know, I told Jeff Wilpon, I said, hey, look, I want you guys to go to the players and I don't want to have to go to the players. I will go to the players and say, hey, look, this is what they want to do. But if you have any problems with it, I don't want, you know, I want you to be, feel comfortable going and telling them privately or telling one of the veteran guys to go tell them privately because I don't want to put you in a tough spot where if you don't view me in this light, I, I don't want, you know, it's important to me that the players in that clubhouse view me as a leader or view me as captain material before I am anointed and have this title as captain because it was the greatest honor of my career was to, to, to captain New York Mets and it's something that I didn't take lightly I took it very seriously um, I'd like to think that nothing changed once I was named captain it's just you know I, I wasn't a big rah-rah guy I wasn't a big hold a team meeting type guy you know I felt like if I had something to say it was more important if it was few and far between the, the words were more impactful the less I said I try to lead by example um, I try to uh, prepare the, the right way. I try to play the right way. You know, I tried to lead 
not necessarily being the loudest or doing it in front of the cameras, but, you know, lead the right way and, and lead by example. And hopefully guys follow that. Yeah, I can't imagine Ty Kelly going into the office and saying, hey, listen, I can't deal with this David right now. And them, and them taking him serious. But what, honestly, I think that was one of the things that I respected most about you throughout our careers is that you were that face of the franchise, both in front of the media and behind closed doors, where it was, where's David? Oh, what is he doing? He's working on something. He's, you know, taking extra uh, ground balls. He's working on his swing, which the swing is still was one of the little league swings that never had to change, never tinkered with. And it was just such a pure swing for that right center field gap uh, doubles and more watching you and in New York, you have yourself and Derek Jeter as the captains. I couldn't think of better two guys who were able to handle that kind of pressure and to see how you were able to cope with the changing of the guard and going through those managers. And even through the tough times, you always held your head up high and were accountable. And at the end of a bad season, at the end of a good season, you were the guy that everybody looked to. So I thank you for that. Well, no worries. And, and I mean, you know, Derek's in a class of his own. So, you know, I think that, you know, you asked the question earlier of when I was a young player, you know, who did you try to emulate? And, and I was lucky. I, I, I got caught up on a team with some future Hall of Famers, some perennial all-stars. You know, when I got caught up, Mike Piazza was behind the dish. Tom Glavin was on the mound. Uh, the next year, um, I got a chance to play behind or years to come, you know, Pedro Martinez, Johan Santana. You know, I got a chance to play with, you know, Al Leiter, uh, you know, Johnny Frank. I mean, it's just Cliff Floyd, Mike Cam I mean, the, the veteran presence when I got called up was amazing. And I tried to take a little bit from each of them and apply it to not just my baseball game, but the way that I led. And then you just look across town. You got a guy like like Derek across town that just, you know, was any young player could, could look up to him and, and try to mimic what he did on the field, but also the way he carried himself and the way that, you know, he treated the organization, you know, the way that, that, that he treated the Yankees. You know, I tried to emulate that across town for sure. Well, it's funny because we had Mike Piazza on a couple of months ago, and I always say he was kind of my childhood hero as a Mets fan. And you you were my teenage hero. I hate to age you a little bit, but I'm, tw- <laughs> I'm, I'm 29. So, you know, my 13-year-old, my bar mitzvah, the table was Mike Piazza. But then you turned 16, and you're the face of the team. Do you feel like he kind of passed the baton to you? And was there any advice that while he left, I think 2005 was his last year, 06, you're kind of the captain. You kind of take over as the leader of that team, and you guys nearly make the World Series. Did he pass any kind of leadership on to you? You know, I learned something, probably one of the greatest lessons that I learned in baseball was from Mike. He doesn't even know it. I was 18 years old going to my first spring training. I might have been 19 years old. I got drafted when I was 18. So my first spring training, I'm 19 years old. I, I wasn't invited to big league camp. I was over on the minor league side. And we had early work every day. And it's, it's, it's a grind session on the minor league side, you know, where you're waking up early. You know, you're getting extra work in. You're, I mean, it's just you're constantly working, which I had no problem with. But I was out on the field probably at, you know, 730 in the morning, which in baseball terms, that's like, you know, that's like when the sun's rising, basically. You know, and I remember doing my infield drills. Uh, Jose and I were kind of doing infield drills. And I look over and on one of the fields that the major league team used was this little half field where it's just an infield. So no outfield. And Mike Piazza is out there and he's already solidified himself as probably the greatest hitting catcher of all time. Hall of Famer, you know, icon. And he's back there working on his catching and his throwing at like 730 in the morning. And it just opened my eyes up to 
not only is this guy one of the best to ever do it, but he's constantly working, even though he's got this resume, you know, he's had this amazing career, but he's out here at 730 in the morning when a lot of the other guys probably on the big league side are probably still sleeping, working on his defense, wanting to get better. And that always stuck with me. And it always made me think that no matter how good I was going or how good I thought I was at the moment, that you have a future Hall of Famer and one of the best to ever do it out there working early to get better at something. And that kind of always stuck with me. So yeah, I mean, I, I tried to hang around Mike as much as possible without pestering him, you know, but I tried to learn from him and, um, you know, certainly took things both from his game and his, his demeanor in the clubhouse and tried to apply it to mine. Yeah, that's awesome. And, uh, you know, Piazza has a legacy unlike any other. It's basically you two are the real true hitters in uh, Mets history. Your guy, David, who you smile. We love your smile. We love when you talk. The injuries come along, and I have to imagine at times in trying to come back from it, and you talked about it a little bit earlier, it got tough to smile because you wanted to be out there and your back and the spinal stenosis was not allowing you. Can you kind of walk us through that process of trying to get back and the frustrations that came along with it? Because we all say, and people tweeted, that you know, the two guys who injuries derailed a potential Hall of Fame career were you and Don Mattingly in New York. We, You two are the faces of that. So can you kind of walk us through that rehab and trying to get back on the field? Yeah, I mean, it's, it was certainly the most frustrating that I've ever been through because, you know, with the condition that I, I had, I have, you don't know how you're going to feel the next day. Like I could do everything that the doctors or the, the physical therapists tell me to do. I need to be doing to strengthen this, strengthen that, stretching this, stretching that. And I could do everything right. I could do the icing and the heating, you know, the, the, the program to a T. And the next day, I, I just feel terrible. I, I could feel wake up and feel terrible. It's, it's like this never-ending game of kind of this roulette of when I wake up, how is my back going to feel? And, you know, baseball just made it obviously, you know, much more difficult with the, the torque and the twisting and the turning and the diving and the check swings and the swings. And, this, you know, it just made it 100 times worse thinking of when I wake up the next day, is something going to be bothering me? There were days where I woke up and I'm like, God, oh, I feel kind of normal. And then the next day I'd wake up and it'd be tough to tie my shoe. It's just, it, it's this, it's this constant, you don't know what you're going to get from day to day. And that was the toughest thing for me was that I feel like I'm a hard worker. I feel like I put in the time, the, the, the work of the rehab to get better. And there's just not much, there's not much, there's not that pot of gold at the end of the rainbow for putting in the work where that was a mantra my entire career was you put in the time, you put in the work, you get rewarded for it. And this just wasn't that. You could do everything the right way and you could feel terrible one day uh, or the next day or for a week or for two weeks. It's just, it's this crazy thing that you just don't know how you're going to feel waking up day to day. And that's by far the most frustrating thing because I wanted to do the right thing. I wanted to put the work in. I wasn't scared to do that. It's just I could do everything right and not be rewarded for the hard work and, and doing everything the right way. And that certainly was, you know, it, it, it sucked physically, but it also sucked mentally because, you know, things like that could grind you down and, and just beat you up when you're having to go through that kind of rehab and not, not seeing the reward for that. What was your favorite Mets memory? The World Series, no question. And it's, I grew up in the Virginia Beach area of Virginia. And, you know, I, I'll never forget, like, whether it was in the backyard with my grandfather or the backyard, my dad made out of fishnet, tied it between two trees in my backyard and made a, a tee with, you know, poured concrete and, and, and PVC pipe and the rubber. And, and you know, I, I'll never forget, like, sitting in the backyard with my dad and my dad would say, you know, okay, 
game seven of the World Series. Now, granted, we didn't make it to game seven, but, you know, game seven of the World Series, bases loaded, two outs, in steps David Wright, and whack, you know, homer. And, and to be able to actually, like, think back on that and, and put that World Series patch on your jersey. And, you know, to this day, it's, it's, it's certainly the greatest thrill for me, you know, being able to talk about the World Series and be able to tell people, you know, that I played in it and the emotions and just the hanging on the every pitch. You know, I certainly wish that the outcome would have, would have been different but you know I, I display that that National League champs ring pretty proudly and uh you know to be able to um you know I missed the first part of that season obviously trying to come back with this back thing and to be able to work through that to be able to come back you know finish the season semi-strong you know play in the postseason you know have these guys you know certainly get us to the postseason and and and, and make it to the World Series there's not a lot of players that get a chance to say they played in the World Series and, and, and I can say that and I say it proudly and living out that childhood dream of David Wright with the Mets hitting a bomb in the World Series, especially at home, that to me is a got to had to have been a big thrill. One thing I want to ask you about is, of course, you know, you shut down way too soon. You start thinking about the future. You're in this role as a special advisor with the team. However, I know Mets fans and there are a lot of people around the game that you see a guy like Aaron Boone jump into the managerial role in a prominent role with the New York Yankees. What about you managing the Mets someday? Yeah, I don't, I don't see it. I'm enjoying. Well, before this, this, uh, this virus, I was enjoying uh, coaching my three and four year old co-ed t-ball uh, team. But that's probably the extent of my coaching career. It's, I, I, I never really been into coaching, you know, that much. You know, I kind of enjoy the role that I'm in now. You know, getting a chance to be around the game, but also kind of be away from it and be a, you know, husband and a father. And and and. But yeah, my my, you know, just talking baseball with you guys. You know, it kind of it gets my appetite going to to talk more about baseball and get involved more. But then. Um, you know, I get a chance to go to spring training for a week, work with some of the younger players, you know, be in some of the, the, the meetings with the front office guys that make the decisions. And, you know, if, if somebody asks me a question, I'm there for them to answer the question. And that kind of, it, it kind of gets me back into the game on a, on a kind of a part-time basis. But, you know, anything more than that probably just, you know, isn't for me, you know, but I, I do enjoy being around the game. I love talking the game. I love working with some of the younger players. And I certainly, I certainly miss the competitive aspect of it, but I'm just, I don't, I don't think coaching for me i guess to answer your question more directly before we let you go david what do you think of this year's team what are, what are the mets gonna do 60 game season obviously stroman's down now a lot of injuries on the board but there is hope amongst us in a short season they could do something what do you think well, yeah i mean it'd be really nice you know obviously it, it hurts you know having stro out um, obviously with noah being out you know with, with the short season with with the starting staff that you know i know it's tough to play the what if game but you know in my opinion you got the best pitcher in baseball you know, one of the deepest bullpens in baseball, you know, an offense that got, that has a ton of upside. If Pete can continue to do it, what, what he's doing, not even at that level, but just at a similar level. And, you know, with Jeff McNeil's, you know, bat to ball skills. Um, I mean, you got guys that can get on base. You got some guys that can run. You got a lot of guys with power. You know, it, it, it should make for an exciting kind of sprint here down the stretch, but you know, it does kind of stink to, to have a couple of those pitchers out, but hopefully some of these guys can, can step up. And I know Brody and his staff have, have done everything they could to try to provide some depth, which is obviously going to be important for us, especially now with missing a couple of those starters. But, you know, it's easy to get excited about, you know, that's for sure. Now it's a matter of, uh, you know, taking that in and, 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 and kind of a, not kind of a very weird situation, a weird season, and, and hopefully you get hot at the right time and carry it right into the postseason and you can go out there and dominate. So, you know, I'm excited to in you know hopefully uh you know i still got some great friends on that team so 
you know, I talk to Jake, you know, it's not on a daily basis, probably every couple of days, whether through text message or on the phone. So, you know, a lot of guys I like rooting for in there and, um, you know, just makes it special having played with a lot of them and, and knowing them personally. So, you know, I'm kind of sounding like a fan, but um, I'm expecting, I'm expecting big things from this year. Yeah. You know, it's hard for me to think about Racanello in uniform and not you. It drives me a little nuts. <laughs> But, yeah, he out, he out, he out, he certainly outlived me. Although his body's breaking <laughs> down too. He, I talked to him pretty regularly, and he's breaking down just like I did. So, uh, you know, that 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 carcass has seen better days. But um, yeah, well, certainly he was the best man at my wedding, and uh, you know, one of my best friends, obviously. So I keep in touch with him, and you know, he's still grinding away and trying to trying to get that pitching staff right. <laughs> for those guys who don't know, Dave Racanello is the bullpen catcher for the Mets forever and ever, and will continue to do it till he breaks down. Because as long as he has a uniform on he his body looks good still one last thing i just a real quick one this is an easy one city field or shea stadium for you man that's i mean it's shea stadium for me just brings back so many memories you know and selfishly it was a better place to hit so <laughs> i'll take i'll take i'll take i'll take shea stadium you know it's like i remember you know i remember driving by when i was a younger player on the team bus coming back from LaGuardia, and some of the veteran guys and it was like it was like clockwork every time they'd say there it is boys uh you know she's a dump but she's our dump and i you know i'll never Absolutely. forget that and and um you know just the 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 quirks of shea and you know coming in late at night off a road trip and like rats the size of cats you know running all over the place i mean it's just but those are the things you loved about it. it had character and um again you know my first game first hit you know there's so many great memories for me at shea i'll i'll i'll, I'll have to go with shea i mean of course your daughter's name olivia shea not olivia city so yeah. I, I thought that was a little easy one but hey from the bottom of my heart brother thank you so much for the time and uh for coming on with us and can you rip figgy once like i, I know you guys are being friendly but your teammates like was he allowed farter me and him rip all, each other all the time <laughs> can you say some story or something bad about him well, I got a couple things. One, you know, I'm surprised Figgy's so nice to me because I, I would beat up on those Puerto Rican teams in the World Baseball Classic <laughs> bad. Oh, and see, now secondly, the Captain America like, comes out of them. Now the Captain yeah, America comes Figgy, out. Figgy was kind of like the team, like, in no offense, but he's kind of like the team nerd. He knew more about, like, like electronics and, like, you know, the iPhones and the iPads at the time, and no one else kind of knew what was going on. And we, you know, for like whether it was like fantasy football stuff, you know, he'd always like hook us up with like the latest and greatest stuff for, you know, like teach us how to do, you know, stuff like that, that they teach you to do at the Apple Store kind of stuff. So, you know, <laughs> he was like our team, like, he was like our team, like, nerd slash like IT guy. <laughs> Mr. So, Apple you know, Store, he's got an Android now, and I hate texting him with the green text come up. That That is, that is terrible, but he, see, that's what, that's what, like, he thinks he's that, that like so smart that he has to get something that everybody else doesn't have and that's kind of how he was playing with too i remember him hooking up to all these devices and i'm like dude just show me how to use my ipad and you know he'd always help me out so uh no Fig figgy's a figgy's a good one and uh you know i'm glad i get a chance to play with him and now you know he's he's He's, uh, he's doing it. So uh, I appreciate it. So my quick story for people that don't know, David Wright, after my first start as a New York Met uh, at Shea Stadium, we're the last two in the clubhouse. You know, I'm just soaking it all in because, hey, I've been busting my butt to put on a Met uniform. And here I am. We win the game against Milwaukee. Me and David are in the shower. It doesn't get any worse than that. But me and David are in the shower. Yeah, where, says, where, 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 where are you, where are you where going with this? So he says, this is a PG-rated show, Figgy. Calm down. <laughs> but he says, he says to me, he goes, hey, kid, are you going to be a one-hit wonder or what? And I go, dude, I am like eight years older than you, and I've been in the league for a while. And he just kind of started laughing. He goes, yeah, but now you're one of us. And that right there, I was like, all right, this is the coolest thing ever. David Wright took me under his wing. Yeah.
in the in the in, in the shower. In the, in the shower. In the shower. Yeah. If you think you're old, David, I'm looking at Figgy right now, and he needs Keith Hernandez just for men hair color on that beard. <laughs> it is gray as hell. His hair is a mess. Uh, we need to get him. Hey, all those Puerto Rico losses from David Wright, that, they're right here on yeah. my beard. We need to get you to yeah. a barber shop, bro. Those things need to open up. That beard is a mess right now. But uh, David, <laughs> David Wright, the captain, number five. Uh, we love you, man. Hope to talk to you later in the season. And I know you have another kid coming. So keep the dad bod going and uh, appreciate you coming on Amazing But True. The dad bod is strong. Thanks for having me, guys. That was a lot of fun. Enjoy talking the game with you. Captain, my captain. <laughs> And that'll do it for episode 12 of Amazing But True, our New York Mets podcast from the New York Post. As always, thanks to you, Jake, for producing the show. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're using Apple, please rate us five stars and write a nice review. For Nelson Figueroa, I'm Jake Brown. We will be back on Monday to recap three games that actually count and preview the Mets series against the Red Sox. Enjoy opening day and the Mets Braves series. Chat with you all on Monday. Stay safe.